0: Rabbi, exactly Rabbi Haven, there, Rabbi.
1: Rabbi, how are
2: you?
0: Good morning. Ladies and gentlemen, are seats, please find them. So while we are, boys please find seats, thank you very much. While we are in the holiday framework, Rosh Hashanah, now Kippur, coming up. I always believed that beginnings are very important. If the beginning is strong, then usually what follows tends to be strong as well. I guess that holds true when we think about Rosh Hashanah. Right, Rabbi? Rabbi? If, if Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, the beginning of the year is strong, hopefully the rest of the year remains in the same sphere. So when I came to Meg and David, my overarching theme at the beginning was to make it really strong. I think we've accomplished a lot of that. We still have things to do. But we did have a very strong beginning. One of the the strengths is listening to Rabbi Mansour every week speak to us. That's a a kavod and a strength. And it sets the tone for Shabbat and it sets the tone for the, the, the week, the following week, and for the year. So the beginnings have been good, very good. Today is a very special day for us because not only is it part of our beginning, but it is the Erev Shabbat before Kippur, Shabbat Teshuvah, and we have an we have the opportunity now to to really zero in in a big way because we have Rabbi Mizrahi, we have Rabbi Haber, and we have Rabbi Mansour. This <clears throat> So it's 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 really a golden opportunity the golden opportunity to make our beginnings very, very strong and very, very good. And I think everybody here understands exactly what I'm saying. So with the highest degree of respect, please sit up. Thank you. With the highest degree of respect for our rabbis, I'm going to ask Rabbi Mizrahi to begin today's Sikha.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Doctor, and Bershut, the great Rabbis, Rabbi Mansour, Rabbi Haber, my brother-in-law. I'd like to share one idea with you today that I think is a very important idea in understanding how the Aserimete Shuba work and the psychology of what a lot of us are doing and maybe how we can improve. So here's what Hazal say. They say that on Rosh Hashanah there are three types of people. And now you may have heard this many times. I'd like to give a little bit of a different twist on it. There are three types of people on Rosh Hashanah. The Tzaddik, the Rasha, and who's the third person? The benoni. Now the Gimara says Tzaddikim are judged on Rosh Hashanah for good, Rishaim, Ajad, Roshana, forbid, and Benonim are hanging in the balance from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur. And really, the Aseri Yemei Shuba through Yom Kippur is meant for the Benoni, for the average person. You know, someone asked me a good question yesterday. They said, "So if someone's a Sadiq or a Rasha, they shouldn't have to fast on Yom Kippur because the whole purpose of of the 10 days of Teshuvah is really only for the Benoni. So when this boy asked me the question, he says, Does he means someone like Rabbi Topaz would not have to fast on Yom Kippur. That, I literally got that question. So, so just to answer that question, is besides the Benoni being judged during Aserim Teshuvah, of course Yom Kippur is an opportunity for kapara, for one's sins to be forgiven, and that applies to everyone. Both the Sadiq, both the Rasha, and of course the Benoni. But the judgment of Rosh Hashanah, where is done for the Tzaddik and done for the Rasha, it continues and extends for the Benoni. And it's almost like we would say that for the Tzaddik, on Rosh Hashanah it's the end of regulation and they won. And for the Rasha it's the end of regulation and they lost. And for the Benoni it's like an overtime period where they have a few more days to change their fate and graduate from being a Benoni to being a Sadiq. Now, the million dollar question is what is the definition? What is a Sadiq? What is a rasha? And what is a Benoni? So, last night we spoke with the 11th grade girls of swimming and floating. I spoke to my boys about it. It's a beautiful idea that we'll share at a different time. But the Rambam tells us what you've all learned when you were kids that the definition of a Sadiq is majority mitzvot. The definition of a Rasha, majority Averot. And the definition of a Benoni is 50-50. And the rabbis all ask a question. If that's true, that majority Mitzvot is a Sadiq, imagine like a scale, and majority Averot is a Rasha, so what's the odds that someone could be exactly 50-50? Isn't that impossible? What, you think someone's going to have exactly 50-50 mitzvot and 50-50 avirot? What's the odds of that? I think maybe you could explain this with a very, very important way of thinking in life. So I was once talking to someone, you know, about being on a diet. And this person said, you know, if you go on the scale and you see a very good number, like you see uh, like a number that you're happy with. So, the person told me when I see a good number on the scale that day, no matter what, I go off my diet. So, what, why is that? Because when they're doing so good, they feel good about themselves, and now they have the ability to go back to the middle. Now, there are two types of people who get on a scale and see a good number. One person says, I can't believe it, I lost 10 pounds, I could do this, I could do more, I could do better, I'm gonna do even more. And they keep going. And some people, they see they're doing good, and they say, Oh, I'm doing good now. Now I could take the foot off the gas, and I could come back to the middle. Now it goes the other way, also. Person sees, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that number. So one person says, Oh, I got to get back on track. I got to do a little better. And one person says, Ah, this whole system's not for me. Explain to the rabbis as follows There's two different reactions to a mitzvah. You do a mitzvah, you wake up in the morning, you do something good. Now, some people live in a world called mitzvah, goreiret, mitzvah. What does mitzvah, and mitzvah mean? One mitzvah, Daniel? Uh, one mitzvah, so get the mitzvah bad, Daniel? One mitzvah leads to another mitzvah. And when they do one mitzvah, they feel momentum, they want to do another and another and another. And some people literally lead their life like this. They do a mitzvah, and now I feel good about myself. So now, I'm good now. Then, they do an Averah. Because I'm good now. I did a mitzvah, so I could do an now. Then they do an Averah. So how, what do they feel now? They feel guilty. So now i got to do a mitzvah again. Then they do a mitzvah, and they feel good. So they could go back and do an Averah. And literally, their entire life is going from mitzvah to Averah. Because when I do a mitzvah, I feel good. And now I can do an Averah. You, you know, I was thinking, like, someone was telling me that, that Rabbi, if I go to shul on Sunday morning, I feel like I'm good now, and I could watch football all day. So so what's the logic there? It's like you did your thing, now you could come back to the middle. Explain the rabbis, the psychology of a benoni is, why is he always going to have one mitzvah and one avirah? Because whenever they do a mitzvah, they feel like now they could do an avirah. And the benoni is afraid to grow. The Benoni is afraid to do too many mitzvot because I don't know what happens when I do too many mitzvot. I don't know. I get momentum. I don't know what I'm going to become. And people are afraid to grow. So they literally live with this balance. A mitzvah, averah, mitzvah, averah. You know what it's like? You know, like in some amusement parks, you have that ride. It's like a pirate ship, right? And it goes like this. It goes all the way up. Now, now, now it depends which one. Some of them go upside down, which is the scariest thing ever. But some of them, they go like this. They go, oh, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Buccaneer. The buccaneer, right. Huh? Right, rabbi. Right? <laughs> so it goes like this, all the way up, but it doesn't tilt, doesn't fall. And then it goes, oh, now you think it's going to go upside down. It doesn't. It goes all the way up, and then it goes all the way back the other way. And then all the way back the other way. So, so some people live their life like that. Oh my gosh, I find myself, I'm doing so good now I need to balance it out with a little bed, because I'm afraid what happens if I keep doing good. And some people live their life like this. They go to a class, and they're feeling very holy. Now some people, when they feel holy, get nervous. I don't know, I'm, like, I'm, I'm in like a, a new zone now. So they say, I, I gotta I got, I got relax, I, I gotta come back. And they live their life this way, buccaneer, back in the middle, back this way, Ooh, that's too much bed. Back in the middle. And some people live their life. I went to a class. Now I'm going to go do a hesed. Now I'm going to go visit my grandma. Then I'm going to go to another class. And they literally live in the world of mitzvah, goreret mitzvah. That is a sadik. A sadik is someone who's not afraid of doing a mitzvah, another mitzvah, another mitzvah. A rasha is someone who the Avera is not followed by a mitzvah, but it's Avera, 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 and it's out of control. A Benoni is someone mitzvah, now I go back to Avera, then I go back to mitzvah, and will never grow because it's stuck in the cycle of mediocrity. So if the goal of Aseri Yimit Teshubah is to graduate from being a Benoni to a Tzaddik, so that means to live and enter the new world of mitzvah goreret mitzvah don't be afraid when you do one mitzvah you don't have to balance it out you went to shul you learned now go do something else good don't pull back don't be afraid and re-enter the world of benoni so I think this is a, a tremendous, tremendous psychology in how people live they do mitzvah they come back, Avera, come back. And Be'ezrat Hashem, if during the 10 days of Teshuvah, we'll be conscious of this. Am I always coming back to the middle, because I'm very comfortable in the middle? Or no, I'm not going to be afraid this year. I'm going to do a mitzvah, and follow that mitzvah with another mitzvah, and I'm going to end up being a good machine, and that is how we graduate from being a Benoni, to becoming a tzaddik. And Be'ezrat Hashem, in these 10 days of Tishuba, will be from those people who don't go back and forth, mitzvah, the buccaneer. We don't go through the buccaneer of life and always come back to the middle. But Be'ezrat Hashem, we should be those people who do a mitzvah, another mitzvah, and literally live the life of a tzaddik. Thank you, everyone.
0: Thank you, Rabbi. I love that. That was great. It was really great. Okay, we have the zechut this morning to have with us someone who many of you know, one of the most beloved rabbis in the community, Rabbi Haber. Please.
2: shoot with permission of the Rosh Hashiva, the principal, and all of the rabbis. I don't know if I could say this. I cannot tell you how excited I am to be here. I can't tell you how exciting it is just to look into these faces. I don't have to say anything. I'm not sure if I can even speak. Just seeing every face and seeing every boy and every girl that's here, it's really an incredible experience. You know, usually when people call me to speak somewhere, I'm like, I'm not sure. I'll get back to you. I'll make a decision. It takes me forever. Alan Dab called me and said, would you like to I was like, yes, yes. He didn't even finish the sentence, yes. I can't tell you how exciting it is to be here. And I wanna say something before we start. And this is a little bit about the past. Every boy and girl in this building, and those that were in eighth grade last year, spent the entire year last year, nervous and worried and scared. About what the future will bring. And now, with less than a month into school, you realize what kind of a mistake that worry was. Look how awesome the school is doing. Look how incredible the programs are. The rabbis, the ones that have always been here, the new ones, the teachers, what the principal, the R- 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 Rosh Hashivat, every single, my brother in law, like you mentioned before, Rabbi Mizrahi, and every single new person, old person, the vibe. And the energy and the story that we're hearing outside of Mag and David High School is incredible. So I need you to learn this lesson for your future. Because the next time you're about to, not sure if you're going to go to Israel or about to go to college or about to get married. And you're going to be nervous. How's it going to work? And I'm scared what's going to happen. You need to know. That's a new item. (laughs) You need to know that Hashem can make it happen. And Hashem can make something incredible. And change often is scary, but just as often, it ends up being even better. So make sure this is a lesson you hold with you for the rest of your life. That the next time there's a stage and you're not sure what's gonna happen, hope and expect That it could be incredible. How many seniors thought they'd have a cafe in the atrium? But you know what? Great things could happen. Good. I'd like to give you a little thought. A lot of what we talk about between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is between man and God. But how we're going to change in our praying and our learning. Today I'd like to focus on the other half of being a Jew. And that is between man and man. Half of the luchara between man and man. And a tremendous chunk of the Torah is mitzvah between man and man. And I think that working on the relationship from man to man is sometimes more difficult than between man and God. And there's people give you a lot of reasons why. Some people tell you, well, it includes another person. Some people tell you it's hard to have the right patience. Sometimes you feel like people could be out to get you. It's hard to give in. Sometimes we're too busy to think about somebody else. But I think there's a different thought and a different idea that I'm assuming you're going to disagree with me initially. I think the reason why it's hard to work on the relationship between man and man, because sometimes we relish... In somebody else's failure. We like that they messed up. We'll sit in a cafeteria and see someone do something foolish. And we'll be excited to laugh in their face. Let me share with you a wonderful thought. That I heard from a current rabbi. Someone shared with me from a rabbi foreman. A few weeks ago we read about the Misfab, of Shilu HaKan. Shilu HaKan. Rabbi, how should I say? Khan. Shiluach HaKan is that you send away the mother bird and you take the eggs. But that's not what the first pasuk in the mitzvah says. The first pasuk says it this way. When the mother is resting on the eggs, do not take the mother while it's resting on the children. Why is that the emphasis? It's not really the main focus of the mitzvah. The emphasis is this. That when the mother is on top of the eggs, if you were to extend your hand to grab the mother, the mother wouldn't move. You know why she wouldn't move? Because the mother's not leaving her kids. A mother's not going to let go of her kids. Even if, she's in, even if it means she's putting herself in danger. Even if she doesn't know what your hand means. She's not moving because she has mercy on her children. The Torah is telling you the sin, lotikach <laughs> al-Banim, what it means is, is don't capitalize. On her mercy. Because she has mercy on the kids. You say, oh, here's my chance. I could grab her. Don't capitalize on her mercy. And we have another mitzvah that also has the reward of long life. What's that other mitzvah that has the reward of long life? There's only two. What's the second one? Kibur You know why? Because Kibur is the same thing. Sometimes we're disrespectful to our parents because we could take advantage of them. Because we know my mother's going to love me anyhow. So I could say something disrespectful to my father and he's still going to be there. I could even not talk to him for a week and he's still going to care about me. So disrespecting parents is also putting your finger on the raw spot, taking advantage of a mercy that your parents have for you. Because there's nothing worse and nothing more vicious than taking advantage of someone else's mercy or someone else's weak moment. Yet so often we do this. So often we'll see a kid say something dumb in class. Here's our chance. We all laugh. So often there's a kid who's maybe not as athletic as you and, and your friends are. And here's your chance to laugh, or worse, to snicker and make a little motion. We sometimes relish somebody else's problem and someone else's mistake. In fact, so often what we talk about, even at our Friday night tables, is, ooh, you heard what that person did, you heard how that person lost a job, or that person made money, or that person made an extension, or that shul did something wrong, or that rabbi said, and we relish in other people's weakness. I'm not saying we're vicious people. Of course, we care about others. When something really happens, of course We care. In fact, I'll give you a little example. So, when we're in Deal in the summer, we have a house on Dwight Drive. It's right behind the golf course. So, we have a housekeeper that we use in the summer and a different housekeeper that comes to us in the winter. My daughter likes to say we have two housekeepers because between the two, we have two. Anyhow, so we left Deal on Sunday night before Labor Day. On Monday, the housekeeper said she'll stay in the house. And she'll help clean up some of the stuff and bring some of the things inside the house, some of the furniture from the backyard into the house when there's no kids there. In the middle of the day, my wife gets a call. Our housekeeper is hysterical crying. Suzanne, what happened? A golf ball from the golf course came over the fence and hit her in the head. She was gushing blood. Hatzalah came, the cops came, the golf course came, my sister in came, the whole block came. Of course we care. We're not vicious, of course we care. And we sent her flowers and a gift and all those things, we care. We call the golf course, try to get us some money, of course we care. We're not horrible people. But when we see a vulnerable moment, a weak moment, a mistake, we often like to put our finger on it and talk about it or point it out. So if we're going to work on the relationship between man and man, we have to start with this. And I'm going to give you a few ideas on how to get yourself to work on it. Here's number one. Number one is know this. If anything I just said is you, if this is describing you in any way, then that's evil. It's so evil that there's a story in the Midrash that's based on the story in the Navi, there was a woman named Hannah who had no children. There was another wife to her husband. Her name was Pinina. She had many children. And the Midrash says that as Hannah was praying for kids, Pinina would show off her children and say, Wow, you see, look, I got for my three-year-old. They got a new outfit for the holiday. You see how gorgeous? Look how my little baby looks. Doesn't she look great in the onesie? Isn't that adorable? Isn't that wonderful? And she was trying to inspire Hannah to pray better. But you caused her pain. And eventually Chana would have a child, one of the greatest to ever live, Shmuel Hanavi. And Chana would have more children. And each child that Chana had, Penina lost one of her children. One after another after another. Because if you're obsessing over someone else's weakness, then that's vicious. I'll tell you another story from the Gemara. This is a very hard one to digest. It's the Masech Kitubot. And I can't even fully explain it, but the lesson of it is very clear. There was a rabbi, his name was Rabbi Yachumi. Erev Yom Kippur. He was learning in the yeshiva and the Beit Midrash. He loved to learn. And his wife was a wonderful wife and supportive wife and didn't didn't ask him or bother him to come home. And he was still learning. And it was later and later and later. Until finally he's still not coming home and his wife at home alone, waiting for her husband, sheds a tear. The Gemara writes that at that moment, a beam got dislodged from the beit midrash and fell on Rav head and killed him. Now I don't know how that's better because now she's in more pain. But what the Gemara is teaching you is, don't take advantage. Sometimes you have a wife, I can get away with anything. I can say anything, I could come home late, it doesn't matter. She's my wife, she cares me, she needs me more than I need her. And therefore, I can do whatever I want. The Torah says, you obsess on someone else's pain, and nothing worse. I'll tell you another little story. The Hafez Chaim, approximately 100 years ago, there was one Sukkot that in the town of Raden, there was no sets of Lulav and Etrog, just one. And the Hafez Chaim was the one who got it. And he's sitting in shul on the first day of Sukkot and it's time to shake the lulav again. No one has besides him. He tells the Hazan, keep going. After the prayers, they say, why do you keep going? Why don't you shake the lulav? He said, I had this thought in my head. If I am the only one who shakes it and no one else does, that's not right. Other people should have a chance. He says, but the shul is too big. There's too many people here for me to give everybody. So I'd have to give half the people. That means half the people would shake it and half the people wouldn't. Which means half the people would feel like, look, I'm one of the people who got it. Look, they noticed me. I'm important enough. I'm relevant enough. And other people would say, oh, look, no one noticed me. I'm not too shy. I don't have enough money. No one cares about me enough. Chavez Chaim says, I'd rather not shake it than create that pain. Because shaking the lulav is a mitzvah from the rabbis. Outside of the Bethlehem he says but Causing someone else's pain Is a sin from the Torah Here's the second point The second point is to ever think That you are better Than somebody else Is just a mistake Let me tell you the reality of life If they're getting to know a lot of people In different backgrounds and different surroundings We're all the same We all have insecurities We all have things that we're good at And things that we're weak at And if you have a strength Sometimes you were born with it It has nothing to do with you We're all worried about our future We all want to have a good marriage And have wonderful children We're all the same And the thought that I'm better than you Or you're better than me Is just a mistake In fact, two weeks ago On a Friday afternoon My wife calls me at 2.30 She says, Joey, could you come home? I said, no, I'm busy I'll have to come in a little while She says, there's someone here waiting for you I said, they didn't make an appointment. I'm sorry. He says, but they're here. I said, I understand, but I didn't make the appointment. I said, I could be home in a half hour. She asked the people. They said, no problem. We'll wait a half hour. I show up to my house 3, 315. And I see there sitting in the house a full-fledged Hasidic man with his Hasidic daughters and his Hasidic son, like with the full garb, the pe'ot, the long, the hat, the whole thing. I'm like, what are you doing here? Who are you? They said, we're from Butter Park. I said, okay, who? who?" We listen to every single one of your classes. They start cracking jokes about the classes. And then we end up talking for 45 minutes. You know what I realized? Here's a Hasidic person in Butter Park that looks completely different than me, and probably, I would think, has a very different lifestyle than me. You know what? We had everything in common. We think about the same things. We worry about the same things. We want the same things. We're all the same. So to think that she's better than her or he's better than him is a complete mistake. So to act that way, like, oh, they made a mistake. Like, I can't make a mistake. Or they said something dumb. Like, I never said anything dumb. Or they said, so they did something wrong. I need to do something wrong. We all do. So to act like I'm better than you or you're better than me is a complete, it's just wrong. And finally, here's the third and final thought. As terrible as it is to obsess over someone else's pain, that's how beautiful it is to lift someone up. There's no greater experience in the world than lifting someone up and encouraging someone. I'll tell you one little thought and then a story and conclusion. Someone asked Rabbi Miller, he's a great rabbi who lived in New York, passed away 20-something years ago. They asked Rabbi Miller, what should we do to prepare for the high holidays? So what answer would you expect? You expect him to say, wake up early, make sure you're careful with what you see, make sure you pray longer, have real kavanah, go to extra class. That's all the things I would expect. He said, here's how you should prepare for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. You want to know how to prepare? How? Smile. What? Smile. He says, if you smile more, that's a way to prepare. And they said, Rabbi, what are you talking about? I said, here's what I'm talking about. He says, if I owned a bunch of retail stores and every year I have to take inventory, you know what I would do? I would look and I'd say, you know what? I have to close a couple of stores. They're not doing well. I have to get rid of the inventory and that store is not doing well. And that store has six workers. It only needs three. And I'd walk into the store and tell the manager, you have to go down. You have to scale down from six to three and get rid of some of your salesmen. And the manager would tell me, okay, I can get rid of that guy and that guy. But that person, everybody loves that person. Everyone comes to the store just because of that person. They love seeing him. He keeps the store going, he keeps the store flourishing. He says, says the Havetz, says the Rabbi Mila, the person who smiles is the person who's keeping the store open. The person who smiles to someone else and lifts someone up. Hashem says, I need more of those people in my world. There's no greater feeling than being that person. We say that, the rabbis say going into Yom Kippur, afatarachum. Just like God is merciful, you have to be merciful. What does that mean? What it means is this. Is that I better be merciful to you and not judge you and not relish in your pain. You know why I need to do that? Because I need Hashem to do the same thing to me. Because I also have pain and I also make mistakes. So please Hashem, don't judge me. Don't look at my mistakes. Pass over it. Don't relish on it. And you know what? I'm going to do the same thing to my friend. I'm going to be the person that smiles and lifts them up. Let me conclude with the story. On my block, I have a couple that is a wonderful couple, a little older couple. Their name are the Gripers, Rabbi and Mrs. Griper. They're some of the most incredible people you've ever seen. They have a wonderful home. They look like they're very, very small means, yet they have guests every Shabbat. The kind of people that if you saw them in the street, you cross the street, they have them as guests. Every scary person they have as guests. They're wonderful people. And they have a daughter named Batsheva. Batsheva has Down syndrome. Batsheva's an adorable little girl. She's extra short, always all over the place, fun and happy. She comes into the neighbors' houses. She comes into our house all the time. And a few years ago in the summer, Baba, as they call her, Batsheva's nickname, Baba passed away. And so Rabbi Greiper wrote a book about his daughter an adorable book with pictures and so on. And he came to deliver it to my house last week. And again, I wasn't home, he gave it to my wife. And I flipped open the book and saw this story that I'd like to share with you. Baba's oldest brother is a boy named Simcha. Ashkenazim used that as a boy's name, Simcha. So this Simcha one day was walking in the street and he passed by a kosher ice cream store and he sees a, a young man with a young girl who clearly has Down syndrome, and they're having ice cream. And he could tell that this young man is uncomfortable about the fact that this girl has special needs. And he's embarrassed from it. So Simcha says to the young man, who's that? He says, that girl is my sister. She's, you know, she has Down syndrome. I'm just getting her ice cream. And Simcha could tell that the boy is embarrassed. Simcha says, wow, that's funny. He says, I'd give anything in the world to have one more ice cream with my Down syndrome sister. You see, we're all the same. We, this person thinks there's something to be embarrassed about and your friend has the same story. We all have things that are right and all have things that are wrong. And there's nothing better than being that person who's able to lift up someone who's weaker and give them strength. The person has the courage to get on the chat and say, you know what, that picture is wonderful. Stop making fun of it person who says, why are we laughing the whole time? His question is good. Why are we looking snickering as if we're any better? Yesterday we did the same thing. If you have that strength, you want to come into Yom Kippur prepared, yes, you have to work on the mislaw between man and God. But you also have to work on the other half. And the way to work on the other half is to see someone else's pain and see someone else's mistake and don't obsess... Or relish in it because that's evil. Instead, realize that we're all the same, and the greatest opportunity you can have in the world is to see someone else in pain and be the person who has the courage and the strength to lift them up. Thank you.
0: I'm standing in the back, <clears throat> and I'm watching the view from the back of the room, and I'm going to bet that even though most people in this room, when they hear a derasha or, or a speech or they go to a movie, whatever, they walk out and forget, I know I do. There have be a lot of people in this room who are going to remember everything you and Rabbi Mizrahi said, and they're going to give it over at the Shabbat table. I don't have a doubt. You know why? You know, when you came to school this morning, so you and I were talking in my office, and I told you, and you were glad to hear it, that we have so many great kids, and we really do. And the reason we have so many great kids, I believe is because every single person in this room knows right from wrong. And even if they stray, they stray with a conscience. And you just help that along. I don't know where Rabbi Mizrahi went. I think he went to move his car before (laughs) he gets a ticket. But it's really true. And now we're going to have the grand finale, the expert, our Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Mansour.
3: The righteous boys and girls of our great yeshiva, Magin David. I'm at a very big disadvantage as they put me as the final speaker after an all-star lineup. Our great Dr. Vitao set the table when he told us how important beginnings are. And he told us that the beginning of our semester, we opened it up with a bang, because that'll set the pace for the rest of the year. What we're doing now, having a siha like this, a mega siha, at the beginning of the year will set our religious pace as well to hear Rabbi Mizrahi give us a novel definition of what a binuni is. You know, I never had a real definition till today. I was the guy 50-50 and I was always wondering, how could you be 50-50? And then he explained it in brilliance, that it's not 50-50, it's the offset. I do one mitzvah and then I do one abirah. You don't know how to keep a momentum. I think that's brilliant. And then our great Rabbi Haber that always has an invitation in our yeshiva. <clears throat> A lot of the success of what's going on here was from the seeds that this great rabbi planted, and his effect and influence is still here today. For him to come along and give us practical advice in Ben Adam Havero, and he goes into the psychology of it to explain to us how it's quite possible to be happy at somebody else's failure. As miserable as that sounds, that's a reality. And the rabbi goes on to give us three pieces of advice, including the great advice of Rabbi Miller to learn to smile. Well, Rabbi, you'll be very happy. I don't know what they were doing last year or the year before, but now come to Mag and David Yeshiva High School. One thing we're doing a lot of is smiling. And that's going to continue as long as we have the faculty and the great students that are here today. Amen. So that leaves me at a great disadvantage because what am I going to say now? I can only ruin the day. So I'll just make a quick point and uh, I'll follow the three, the three B's in public speaking. Uh, the first B is to be clear and then to be loud and then to be seated. So I will fulfill that today. One of our members asked me a simple question. I'll ask you the question, I'll give an answer, and we'll be on our way. So in a few days from now we have the holiday. The Torah calls the holiday Yom HaKippurim. Now our members are good in grammar. Kippurim is plural. It's only one day. It's only one atonement. The day should be called, like we call it, Yom Kippur. Why is the name called Kippurim? Well, the truth is, based on what Rabbi Joey said, we could give an answer. Well, there's two Rabbi Joeys. Rabbi Joey Haber. Based on what he said, we could say because we have two sins. We have sins between man and God, and we have sins between man and our fellow. So Kippur cannot be singular because that means you left half the business undealt with. Kippur always has to be Kippurim. You must settle both ends. But I would like to say yet another interpretation in your honor. They talk about the books, the books that are opened. And there's two books. One is called Sifre Hayim and one is called Sifre Metim. And I always understood, well, if you get written in the book of Hayim, those are the ones that live. And then if you get written in the other book, so then the alternative is not so good. It's the opposite of life. There's two books. There's two options. However, I recently saw in a sefer called Pahad Yitzhak, Sfaradi Rabbi, He came along and said, no, there are two types of people that are judged on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. One are the living, Sifri Hayim, us. But the dead are also judged. Sifre Metim is that all that are written in the Book of Death already are being judged. And I asked the question, judged? On what? They're dead already. I mean, you could get us on some sins because we're still alive. We still have the ability to commit sins and do mitzvot. Judgment, in my opinion, is exclusively for the living. But if somebody passed already, how can they bring him to the tribunal on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Judge him for what? What is Sifre Metim? This is a life lesson. But to understand the life lesson, I need to teach you a basic principle of science. You must have heard once of a principle that's called the ripple effect. Maybe you had a chance once to go to a pond and you picked up a pebble and you tossed it into the pond and all of a sudden you started to see around the pebble, it starts to create what we call ripples. And even after the one that tossed the pebble, walks away, long after, the repercussion of that action still is making ripples. The consequence of a person's actions lives on longer than the person. The action outlives the person. And therefore, what our rabbis are telling us, we must be very careful in the way we live our lives. Because based on our actions, there's going to be consequences that will outlive us. We create ripple effects. As an example, we have parents here today, our great teachers. So they raise their family and their students in a proper way. Our teachers, after 120 years of healthy and good life, they'll resign and go up to Shamayim every Rosh Hashanah, every Kippur, they will be judged because they left students like you. And when the students are behaving in a proper way, that's to the credit of the teachers. They left a positive effect on the world and every year they receive dividends. It's almost like a pyramid. The one that influenced on top benefits a royalty for all the good effect that he has caused beneath him. One day you'll be parents. You'll have children. And you'll be very careful the way you raise your children. Because long after the parents are deceased, they're going to judge you on your children's actions. Because they are acting on the values that you perpetuated to them, that you taught to them. That's the Metin. You're not only going to be judged for the tossing of the rock. But we're going to look, when heaven they're going to look, at the cause and the effect. And therefore the deceased are judged every year. If you walk out into the hallway, you'll see the name of the founder of this yeshiva. The high school. My uncle Joe Esses and his wife Celia. They passed on already. But I have no doubt that every Yom Kippur, they summon my uncle Joe and then Celia to the Bedin. And they say today, Mr. S's, you're being judged. You're being judged for the positive effect. You set Mag and David Yeshiva High School in motion, and as a result, it's a machine. It's producing students, boys and girls, Torah, chesed, tefillah, knowledge, education, You left your mark on the world, and today is the day where we pay you a check of dividend and royalty. It's an important lesson. Because now we always have to think, not only what I'm doing today, but how is it going to affect when I'm not here anymore? And God forbid, there's two sides of the scale over here. You can't just talk the positive. I mean, it's a double-edged sword. If God forbid, somebody leaves a negative effect in this world, it will haunt him forever. Even though he's gone, but he left something that was poisonous or toxic or a bad influence in the world, and all those that are being influenced negatively from it, he's on top of the pyramid. He's going to have to get a retribution forever. I'd like to tell you a story. It's from the Tanakh. Listen to a story. Learn a story from Tanakh. There was a king. His name was Menasheh. Maybe you heard of him. What do we know about this king? We know that he worshipped Avodah Zarah, idolatry. But not any idolatry all idolatries. He had a Rolodex. He went through everyone. from A to Z. Talk about somebody that went off the derech. Menashe is the poster child of an oved abodazara, and he did it for decades. Menashe can be called rasha, but I have good news. Midlife, he didn't have a crisis. But midlife, he made Teshuvah. He repented. And his Teshuvah actually is chronicled in the Navi. It's written. But it's not written in the Navi in the time that he was living. He was living in the time of Yirmiyah. In Yirmiyah's book, it doesn't mention anything about the Teshuvah b'Nasheh, even though that would be real time. If you wanted to document it as it was happening, Yirmiyash should have said, Good news, Menashe, our friend, he's back. He's covered. He repented. How do we know Menashe made Teshuvah? In a much later book, the book of Devre Yamin, which is called the book of Chronicles, which was written much later. It mentions in a note, By the way, at the end of his life, Menashe made Teshuvah. And I asked a simple question. Why didn't they mention Minasheh's Teshuvah as it was happening? Why the delayed reaction in the Prophet? You know what the answer is? <clears throat> yeah, Menasheh took his fist, banged his chest, Hatati, Abiti, Pashati, I did Amod so bad, I won't do it again, I promise. He made all sorts of resolutions. Teshuvah, perfect. But what about all the people? What about all your students that you taught Avodah zara? What about all the negative ripple effects you caused? You think Menashe knocked on every door? You think he went to every person he ever had an idolatrous conversation with and undid it? It was impossible. So although Menashe was able to fix himself, he wasn't able to fix the damage. His sin created collateral damage, and that was there. So, therefore, when he made the shuvah, the navi could not write in real time. He's fixed because he wasn't fixed. Not until a hundred years later, when all the effects of his avon were finally cleaned up over time, of course, then the navi could say is This is a mindset. This is the way to think for the future. Don't be small. Don't think short term. What I'm going to do today, the small benefit I'll get today, or the small reward I'll get today. We have to look large. We have to have vision. And we have to understand that the way we behave today is going to have effect on other people as well. Our good behavior can influence somebody else without even you knowing. And in 120 years, they're going to say, he was better or she was better because of you. You are the catalyst. You get reward for that after 120. Well, if that's the case, I think I answered my question. Why is it called Yom Kippurim? Because two people are being judged on Yom Kippur. There's Kippur for the living, and there's Kippur for the deceased. That's Kippurim. And everybody that's living, eventually is going to be on the other side in 120. And therefore you must think in those terms that not only you should succeed on the Yom Kippur of today, but you must be exonerated and rewarded as well on the future Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a holiday that travels with us through life and past life. Therefore, think good. A student that ruins his life with drugs and gambling. You're not only going to be held responsible for ruining your own life, but God's going to say, you could have been married normally with a beautiful wife or husband. You could have had children. You could have had grandchildren. All this could have come from you. And therefore they're going to say, your actions caused a negative consequence. You stopped so much good from coming. And therefore they're going to be held So therefore think today about those bad decisions you're going to make. Those bad decisions will haunt you forever. It's not the temporary excitement and enjoyment. These things have an ability to be the ruination of man. But of course the good things as well. And I always end on the good. Look what you're doing here in the yeshiva. Yeshiva is preparing you for life. The Torah that you're studying here, the lessons that you're learning, these moments are forming the way you think, the way you view things, your hashkafa, your ideology, your perception of things. That's what we're doing in Yeshiva. Take advantage of these moments. Because these moments are going to have a ripple effect on your whole life. I, till today, speak to my children about lessons I learned in Mag and David 50 years ago. What I heard from my rabbis and what I heard from my teachers, they had great influence on me. I'm one of the ripples. I hope I'm making them proud. And I know that through your attentiveness and your good conduct... the fact that you listen and you let these ideas absorb inside of you, there's going to be a great ripple effect. The community is in good shape because the future is right here today in Mag David. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to you, to your children, to your grandchildren and to your great-grandchildren. And therefore, stay the course, boys and girls. Continue on this path. You will not only be rewarded <clears throat> on this Kippur, but I guarantee you, you will be rewarded for every Yom Kippur from here on in forever. Hence, Yom HaKippurim. Tuzkudu Shanim <laughs>